0: Welcome to another edition of the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter. No Joe this week, but we've got a lot to talk about in the world of MMA, as we always do. Because the sport just never stops operating. In fact, there are no off weekends from now until December the 12th. And then after that, they still just haven't announced fights. So there very well could be fights every week until the end of the year, although one of those weekends is Christmas Eve, so maybe, just maybe, we won't have an event that Saturday, but you know what, I'm here for it, it's a fun part of my job, obviously, the the day I look forward to most each week, in terms of the work week, is Saturday night, because Saturday night is when we get to watch all of these great fights that we've discussed over the past weeks come into fruition, and see what happens, I mean, I, you know, I've been covering this sport for, I guess it's been about three plus years at this point in time, and... Every time there's a fight card on Saturday night, I never, like, God, I wish I was doing something else. You know, and, and it's easy for me to say I get paid to do this. You know, people will quickly retort by saying that. But even before I was covering the sport, I was watching it every Saturday. And uh, I was also watching Dream when it was going. I was watching every, any any MMA that was on, I was watching it. So, uh, you know, now getting to cover the sport is just a big bonus for me. But I, I don't get tired of... Watching these cards every weekend, I I relish it and I embrace it and I love it. And uh, now with contender series on Tuesdays, we got that too. So twice a week is better than once a week, in my opinion. You know, it's twice as nice. But uh, the contender series has been great. Except this past week, I thought Anthony Romero, the Canadian on the show, did enough to earn a contract. He was the most dominant fighter of the night. Like he was, he showed a full body of work over the course of three rounds. One of the judges gave him a thirty twenty six. I mean. I know that the point of this of this show is to finish people and that's how you get the contract that's how Dana White has always judged this but I do think that Anthony Romero showed he was UFC ready and I think it was a real shame that they uh, they passed him up you know we've seen other fighters get decision wins that have been less impressive and get a contract but uh I mean what what more do you if if you're not going to finish him and I understand that you got to make the you know you got to go out there and try to finish your fight but I just don't think there was much more that he could have done to show that he was UFC ready. At age 23, undefeated. Yeah, yeah. I, I just thought that was the wrong call. But it's not my my show. It's not the Aaron are contender series, the Dana White contender series. And he uh, makes the, the choices. And I was just a little bit surprised. But uh, be that as it may, let's go a couple days before that. Frankie Edgar makes his UFC bantamweight debut and uh, gets it done against Pedro Munoz in a very, very close fight. Which I would say the majority of people thought Munoz won. I was in the minority and thought that Edgar had squeaked out uh, a forty eight forty seven decision, but uh, I could easily be swayed in the opposite direction. in fact, if I went back and watched it, uh maybe I would feel a little bit differently but uh because everybody that I listened to that thought Munoz won the fight made a lot of good points, so maybe when I was watching, I wasn't valuing certain things that Munoz was doing, and you know there's always that little bit of you as an m m a fan that wants to see somebody like a Frankie Edgar, you know, one of these pioneers of the sport, go into their late 30s and when everybody counts them out, watch them have a great performance and get a win. And even if that was a loss, it was still a great performance by Frankie Edgar. So kudos to the answer for uh, for getting it done against a really tough, I mean, this is a top five opponent in Pedro Munoz. And I've always been a big uh, fan of of how Pedro Munoz fights. You know, he's so dangerous on the feet, so dangerous on the ground, a really complete fighter. And I think that that it was a real statement win for Frankie Edgar, and it's nice to see him uh, bounce back in his career. I mean, the thing is, you know, we we talk about him bouncing back and all of that. He he fought for the title a year ago. Like, let's not forget that. I believe it was end of July, or maybe even August, when he fought. I think it was July 29th, if I'm not mistaken, actually, when he fought Max Holloway in Edmonton. I mean, that's, that's just over a year ago. He was fighting for the featherweight title. For the third time. I mean, one of those times was an interim title, but it was against Aldo nonetheless. So, you know, I I just... I I think we were counting him out a little bit too quickly. You know, he was was trying to cut down to bantamweight. I thought it was ill-advised that he took a short-notice fight against Korean Zombie. I bet you if you allowed him to walk that one back, he would. Uh, You know, he went to Asia to fight the Korean Zombie on very short notice. That turned out to be a big mistake. And one that I think might have ramifications on his life, you know, in terms of his quality of life. Like, that was that was a bad loss. You know, you don't see Frankie Edgar get finished like that. Um, the only person we've seen finish him like that previously was Brian Ortega. But, yeah, it's just great to see him go, face a guy like Pedro Munoz, bounce back, and win that fight. I, I think that we need to uh, give him the respect that he is due. And I'm looking forward to seeing what his next fight is, you know who that will be against at bantamweight. I imagine it'll be a top three fighter and possibly could earn him a, a title berth. So kudos to the answer for that win. Uh, nothing else really to discuss on that pass card, with the exception of the biggest upset in UFC history. How about that? Shanna Dobson beats Maria Agapova by a second round TKO. The line on her win by TKO is plus 19.50. You know, I was on with Dan Tom before the event started. We do a, a pre-show Periscope, which I would highly recommend if you uh, have the opportunity before a card starts to uh, jump on Twitter. Excuse me while I take a, a sip of my coffee here. But uh, I mentioned to him that I thought Shanna Dobson plus 1950 was worth a sprinkle. you got to look at that. That's a 20-to-1 odds on somebody who is a, is a pretty heavy hitter for flyweight. And I saw a lot of people saying, you know, oh, this wasn't the biggest upset in UFC history. It numerically based on mean odds, mean closing odds. So if you took, you know, the odds from every major sports book and you found the 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 mean odds, so like the the maybe the median odds I'm looking for, but the average, the average odds, if you averaged it out. Shannon Dobson's win over Maria Agapova is the biggest upset in UFC history based on those odds. So Kudos to Shanna Dobson. She was 3-4 and four going into the fight. Now 4-4, four and four, but Maria Agapova called her out. She took the fight and, uh, man, made a real statement. So good on Shanna Dobson. And uh, The big issue with Maria Agapova, and I think I might have said this on last week's show, I definitely said it on the, the Periscope pre-show, is that that number that she had, which is like minus 1375, I saw it get as high as that range, was based on her beating Hannah Cyphers, who is... You know, for all intents and purposes, an atom weight. Like There's just no atom weight division in the UFC. If there was, she'd be fighting at atom weight at 105 pounds. She moved up to 125 pounds to face a much longer, much rangier opponent. And, I mean, she she lost that fight badly. It was short notice as well. So Agapova, a flyweight, looked good beating somebody who probably should be fighting two weight classes below her on short notice. And that was enough for people to bet her number all the way up to nearly 14 to 1 odds as a favorite unbelievable like we we gotta be you gotta pump the brakes a little bit on some of these prospects you know I you gotta look at the body of work she also was on contender series and lost like let's not forget that she didn't she's not she was not this hot prospect that everybody made her out to be because of that one win she looked great in that win you know I I think anybody that would argue otherwise wasn't watching the fight she looked phenomenal and I can't take that away from her but what I can do is look at the facts and the fact is that she beat somebody who came in on short notice that is a, a natural 105 pounder, and Agapova is pretty big for flyweight, at least in terms of height and range. She's she's among the, the probably the tallest and the rangiest in the division. So, Shanna Dobson, you know, don't write her off. She was she looked good on tough. She looked like she was getting better and better, um, you know. And then of course you look at the sample size with with Shanna Dobson. I mean, she was coming into that fight, coming off three straight losses. Uh, two unanimous decisions to Mazzo and Lauren Muller. And then she got knocked out by uh, Priscilla Casuera. And a lot of people took that Casuera loss to mean that she was watched. Because Casuera, I mean, let, let's be honest. Her UFC tenure before that Dobson fight was uh, not good. <laughs> it, was, it was not good. Let's just leave it at that. So that loss to Casuera, I think, made people believe that Dobson was not... Uh, UFC caliber fighter. But she she proved otherwise over the weekend. And uh, in terms of the other fights, I thought Daniel Rodriguez looked good. Uh, that, w- that was uh, two minutes and 24 seconds of just a frenetic, frenetic round. Possibly one of the rounds of the year, even though it only went half a round. Dwight Grant puts it on Daniel Rodriguez early. He's working so hard to put him out. He's He's throwing the kitchen sink at him. And then he gets tired, and Rodriguez comes back and knocks him out. Like, there were a lot of nice comebacks on this uh, this card. Trevin Jones beating Timur Valiev in the uh, the very first fight of the night. Valiev himself, about a six to one favorite. That fight should have been stopped in the first round, in my opinion. Like I I couldn't believe the ref let that go. Valiev was was teeing off on Trevin Jones, landing big body shots. Jones was working hard just to like be able to stand, because he was getting pieced up to the body so much. Manages to weather the storm. Ref lets him lets him take uh, a lot of punishment comes back second round, knocks down Valiev, and the ref jumps in and stops the fight right away. Valiev was like shooting for a double. <laughs> so, I mean, like, that's a... I mean, if you're going to give Jones the opportunity to uh, to try to survive, at least give Valiev the same courtesy. I mean, Valiev is a, is a good fighter. I mean, not, you know, not to say that you should look at the caliber of fighter when you jump in, but referees... I mean, John McCarthy says that sometimes you have to judge it on a case-by-case basis, and to think that Valiev was done there, I think that was premature. So he went from making a non stoppage in the first, this referee. I can't remember exactly who it was, to uh basically letting a fight go too long. Oh, sorry, for basically for stopping the fight too uh too early. At least in my opinion. Again, these are my opinions. If you're listening to the show and want someone else's opinion, you're probably not gonna get it, unless Joe's on with me. So uh that this card had so many newcomers on. I think there were six debuting fighters. You got Valiev Jones, minus Semmelsberger, Wright. That's five right there. I think maybe it's five. But uh, a lot of uh, a lot of debutants on this particular card. So uh, I think Inoue, may have, was Inoue, Inoue, uh, no, Inoue has fought in the UFC before, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, yeah, a lot of debuting fighters. In fact, I went on Twitter yesterday and tweeted out the amount of debuting fighters that we've had since uh, after the Gaethje and Ferguson pay-per-view, which had no debuting fighters on it. Fifty-three, debuting fighters since March thirteenth—an average of three and a half per event. So there are a lot of people getting opportunities in the UFC these days, and uh, you know a lot. There's there's a lot of great talent out there, man. I mean, there are a lot of people right now that are not in the UFC that should be in the UFC. So to see people get opportunities is great, in my opinion. This weekend, Anthony Smith, who's going to join us later on in the show, taking on Alexander Rocket in the main event co-main event, Neil Magny taking on a short notice, Robbie Lawler. Magny also joining us on the show a little bit later on. And we'll hear from Canadian Jamie Siraj, um, another one of my up-and-coming Canadians that are currently not signed to a major promotion. And uh, Jasmine Jassidavishus and uh, Anthony Romero, actually teammates, are still unsigned to a major and made promotion after their two recent fights. But uh, TJ Laramie the first person that was profiled in this uh, particular case is um, the first uh, to sign with the UFC off the Contender Series and the first to win a Contender Series fight among Canadians, Romero becoming the second, but being unable to procure a contract in the process. So Laramie made history, as uh, he's still in the history of the Contender Series, the only Canadian to win and earn a contract on the Contender Series. Now, uh, looking at this weekend's card, I, th- I look at the main event, and uh, this line is interesting because Rackage is minus 275, Smith plus 235. And I feel like we just don't know enough about Rackage yet. And uh, I, f- I feel like this would be one that you either you either take the underdog or you stay away from and wait and see. The odds on Smith in round three are plus 1,900. I think if you were going to play something and take a sprinkle, Smith, based on his history, has won a lot of fights in round three. And Rakic has been known to slow down. And he slowed down in that Volcan fight. So Smith round three plus 1900. It's Worth a look. Just just saying. If you're interested in, in that angle of this fight. So Rakic is a, a solid up-and-coming fighter. I, I uh, think that he has a really bright future in this sport. He is um, coming off of... Uh, I think his last fight, was it was the last fight, the uh, Uzdemir fight? Yeah, the last fight was the split decision loss to Volkan Uzdemir. So it was December of 2019. But uh, 28 years of age, which for a light heavyweight is, I guess, on the younger side. And uh, he's had a really good career. Kid from Austria. You don't see a lot of Austrians in the, uh, the UFC. And Rakic has done a good job of representing his country. And uh, we're going to see if Anthony Smith can bounce back from really uh, what could be a career altering loss to Glover Teixeira because of the amount of punishment he took but if there's somebody in MMA who can bounce back from something like that it's Anthony Smith if you look at what this guy's been through in his career he started his career off 5 and 6 and you know he, he had a lot of uh, he had a four fight losing streak early on in his career ends up bouncing back wins four in a row then ends up losing one in a promotion called Crowbar MMA. But then bounces back and wins five in a row. Gets a gets a strike force contract. And uh goes one-on-one in strike force, then ends up fighting outside of Strike Force again, gets two straight wins, and ends up back in Strike Force before Strike Force was purchased by the UFC, gets one UFC fight, loses to Antonio Neto, via Nibar, is released, loses his first fight off the release. To Josh Near, a UFC veteran, then turns it around and wins eight straight, including a win over Josh Near. Um how many how much later was that? About th- about two years later, gets a win over Josh Near, punches his ticket back to the UFC and hasn't looked back. And since rejoining the UFC, he has been eight and four. But let's also mention that he did end up getting a title shot against John Jones was frustrated with the, the fighters at middleweight not wanting to fight him, the ones in the, that were ranked at middleweight. Suffered a loss to Thiago Santos, who also has since moved up to light heavyweight. Then he moves up to light heavyweight, rails off three in a row. Rashad Evans, Shogun Hua, Volkan Uzdemir. Loses to John Jones, then in his next fight, ends up scoring a submission win over Alexander Gustafson. So this this is a guy that you can't keep him down. But, again, a loss like that against Teixeira was that was one of the more lopsided losses you'll see, one that po- possibly could have been stopped sooner. I mean, I know Anthony Smith said he was happy the referee let him con- you know, continue to absorb punishment and, and go out on his shield, but, uh, yeah, that was a little bit too much, in my opinion. And, you know, a lot, his coaches got a lot of flack for not um, stopping the fight between rounds but apparently Smith has told his coaches explicitly that if they were to stop one of his fights prematurely, that he would no longer work with them. <laughs> so, I mean, you do have to go with your fighter's wishes, I guess. I mean, if he's willing to accept the ramifications of that, I mean, if you're his coach, you kind of have to have that in the back of your head. It's like, you know, he's he doesn't want me to stop this fight, and I'm not going to stop it. And now Smith uh, bouncing back. After, what, about a three-month layoff to uh, take on Rakic in this main event. And I think that Smith is a, uh, a formidable fighter. I think that uh, at, uh, under all odds like this, he's certainly worth a look. Magny versus Lawler. Magny's minus 235. Lawler, about plus 200. And this is really Magny's fight to lose. You know, I know that Robbie Lawler is a former champion. Perhaps not getting that much respect in terms of this line. But uh, you got to look at the facts. And uh, right now, Robbie Lawler is just not in a place where people should have a lot of faith in him. Uh, you know, he's uh, we saw something out of him when he fought Ben Askren last year before he uh, lost via bulldog choke. You know, he had thrown Askren down, <laughs> lifted him up over his head, threw him down, and was and was beating on him. And we arguably could have stopped that fight. But uh, he's, regardless of that, is is three and. F- Three and uh, Sorry, one and four in his last five. His last win was in July of 2017, three years ago. Unanimous decision victory over Donald Cerrone in a very close fight, mind you. But uh, lost the title to Tyron Woodley back in July of 2016, about uh, four years ago. And has not had a lot of success since then. But uh, this is definitely the lowest level opponent that he's fought, and that's not disrespect to Neil Magny, probably since... Maybe Jake Ellenberger in 2014? Like, I mean, this is who he's beat. He beat the 2014 version of Matt Brown. And 2014 version of Matt Brown was a, was a, a good version of Matt Brown. Like, That's probably around a where Magny's at, is that version of Matt Brown from 2014. Johnny Hendricks in 2014, who was the champion at the time, he we, beats him. Beats Rory McDonald, and that was a prime Rory McDonald, I would say. Maybe even a little bit before his prime, but You know, title fight. Split decision win over Carlos Condit. One that I think was controversial. Probably should have gone the other way. But uh, nonetheless, wins that fight. Again, top-level competition. Gets knocked out by Tyron Woodley in the first round at UFC 201. And since then, he just really hasn't been the same. UFC uh, 214 against Donald Cerrone. Um, I would say that that, that Donald Cerrone in 2017 is probably ahead of where Magny is right now. Maybe a little bit. Possibly. Magni might be better than that version of Donald Cerrone. It's it's hard to really say. But the thing about this fight that I think gives Magni such a big advantage is that the reach, you know, Lawler has had trouble against taller opponents in the past. Uh, I know he beat Carlos Condit, but uh, a lot of people thought he lost that fight. But uh, this is just a a really rangy opponent that I think he's going to be the younger man, Neil Magni. He's uh, on on a solid streak right now. Lawler's taking this on short notice, but uh, yeah, Magny just—he just looks like it's gonna be a, a difficult. I I just don't know how Robbie Lawler's gonna win this fight. I don't think he's gonna win by decision. Like I don't think that he's gonna get the better of. I mean, it's possible. I mean, he could. He could get the better of Magny over three rounds. I shouldn't say never. Um, Robbie Lawler, his last finish was against Roy McDonald, five years ago. So, I mean, while there is the odd chance that he does finish Magny, and I think that that is probably his best way of getting a win is by a knockout. The odds on Lawler by a knockout are plus 460. The odds on Lawler winning by decision is plus 485. So those are, according to the props, the most likely outcomes for Lawler if he's to win the fight. But I just think that Magny, at this stage in his career, is just a safer bet. And I think at at minus 235, that's probably around where you would want to take Neil Magny if uh, you you are very comfortable with uh, the idea of him winning this fight. But uh, another buyer beware situation, like that main event. Uh, Alexa Grasso making her flyweight debut against, uh, at least in the UFC, against Ji Yong Kim. And uh, Grasso is a minus 320 favorite. That's probably about where it should be. I think that uh, this is a good entry-level opponent for Alexa Grasso. I mean, Ji Yong Kim had previously fought a bantamweight. She is... Uh, but she's she's only five seven. Mean, I mean I guess 5'7 seven is somewhat tall for the division. Grasso is uh five foot five, so it's not not a massive size advantage. But uh ji Young Kim is uh since joining the UFC is three and two. Wins over Justine Kish, Melinda Fabian, and uh Nadia Kasem. And if you look at their combined UFC record and two of those are split decision wins, the win over Fabian and uh and Justine Kish are are, are splits. And uh decision loss to uh Antonina Shevchenko and to Lucia Pudilova, who I don't think is in the UFC anymore. But uh yeah, I think that for Grasso, who is is a really was a really solid fighter at straw weight. Grasso uh has missed weight before. I thought she missed weight for her last fight, well, I'm looking at this now. Oh sorry, she missed weight against Gedalia. That was that's right. She was five and a half pounds over and the uh the commission removed her from the card. So uh after missing weight by five and a half pounds, she said she was moving up to uh to fly weight. So she's moving up to flyweight uh and will will face G Young Kim in her debut. And I she's had mixed results in her UFC career. A uh, a three and three resume. Wins over Heather Jo Clark, not in the UFC anymore. Random Marcos and uh Carolina kovalkevich losses to really top opponents, Felice Herrig, uh Tatiana Suarez and Carlos Sparza. So uh, her loss has come to solid competition in the UFC. Um, and I think that I think she'll probably— th- those odds are are a bit high, but I think that she's the rightful favorite for sure. And you've got Ricardo Lamas at minus uh, 290, taking on Bill Algio, newcomer to the organization, taking a short-notice fight as Ryan Hall had to withdraw from the fight. And I feel bad for Ryan Hall, man. Ryan Hall's been trying to get high high-caliber opponents for some time. And uh, Lamas would have been a really solid test for him, and he unfortunately got injured and, and had to pull out. But uh, Bill Algio 245 in this fight. Um, he uh, f- lost to Brendan Lochne on uh, last year's Contender Series. A solid fighter. I mean, he just fought at CFFC a couple of weeks ago and looked good. So uh, this is a, sh- a really quick turnaround for Algio. I honestly think the line should be a lot higher here. Llamas at minus 290. This is, you know, I'd jump into, way into the deep end for Bill Algio. This would be a fight where I'd be very confident. If you, if you were looking to put together some sort of parlay or something along those lines, I think you could be very confident with Lamas in this spot. I think that at minus 290, that number's not high enough. Should be higher. I might look like a moron next week. You could probably come back, point this out, and say, well, Algeo won, blah, blah, blah. Hindsight's 20-20. Uh, Magomed Ankalaev rematch with Iwan Kutelaba uh the last fight they had was one of the more interesting rounds you'll ever see in MMA fight starts well before the fight starts the ref inter- the ref is standing in the middle of the cage and Kutelaba, before the fight starts walks up to Ankalaev and grabs him <laughs> just grabs him and they start, you know the, the officials have to get in there and break them up before the fight actually starts probably could have been disqualified for that honestly then the fight starts, Ankalaev hits Kutelaba. Kutelaba pretends he's on wobbly legs to play possum with Ankalaev. The referee buys the trick and stops the fight. It's a bad stoppage for sure, but hey, if you're going to play with fire, don't 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 be surprised when you get burned because Kutelaba you know, he 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 fooled somebody with, when he was playing possum when he was pretending that he was on wobbly legs, he fooled the wrong person. He fooled the referee. So, uh, yeah, I mean, they're running this one back as a result of that. But, I mean, that loss is a loss. And uh, Ankalaev 335, is a favorite. Ankolaev to me, is the dark horse in the light heavyweight division. In fact, I would probably favor him against anybody in the division, save for maybe Dominic Reyes. Honestly, I would. I, I think that if you put him against Jan Bojovic, Ankolaev should be favored in that fight. People are gonna again rip me for this because I was like, oh well, who's he fought? Who's he beaten? Blah blah blah. You know, everybody always. I look at talent based on how they perform in the cage, regardless of who the opponent is. As long as it's a UFC caliber opponent, if they're dominating a fight, and I know that Ankalaev got caught by Paul Craig, that was a terrible look. He lost with one second left in the fight, rather than just holding on and, and allowing himself to, you know, w- you know withstand that last second of the submission. I thought that was a bad look, and I mean, I'm, I mean, I wasn't in the triangle choke, so it's hard for me to say that. You know, I don't know if if I if I was one second away from getting a UFC win, would I tap out? If I was, if my neck was being, uh, you know, if I was my my airways were being restricted, probably. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to blame Ankalaev. but uh, still, I mean, that, that's his only UFC loss it was in his debut. He was a big favorite, but uh, Ankalaev, to me has championship potential at light heavyweight, and uh, Kutelop is a really good fighter too. I'm not trying to take anything away from on Kutilaba. He's he's a heck of a fighter. A guy who I think could possibly be a top five light heavyweight one day. So uh both of the, this is a great fight. This might be the best fight on the card, honestly. Uh so I'm really looking forward to this one. And uh at minus three thirty five, I'd be a little bit hesitant on that one. I think your your better bet is to look at either Ankalaev by Decision, which is a plus 275, or to just kind of wait and see. Uh, Kute Laba, by knockout, is plus 354. So you're not getting a ton of value there. If you like him to win, you're probably better off just playing him straight. Speaking of quick turnarounds, Impakasangane was on the Contender Series two weeks ago. And now he's in the UFC for his first fight against Maki Patolo. Now, uh... Basically, Dana White gave Impa Kasagane a contract because Kasagane had agreed to take this fight against Maki Batolo if he were to win on the Contender Series. Which, I mean, if you have the confidence to do that, knowing that, hey, I don't care how how this fight goes, as long as I get the win I'm taking it, I mean, kudos to him. Now, I thought Kasagane should have gotten signed after last year's Contender Series where he had a really dominant performance as a big underdog. And uh, if I recall, he was a big underdog. I'm going to go back and just check that quickly. I have it in front of me. Yeah, he was plus 215 against... Oh, sorry, he was plus 500 in some spots against Kalen Hill. Kasagane, his mean closing average was nearly 5-1. to one, And he dominated that fight. And uh, I thought that he should have gotten the nod right there and then. piece of how impressive he was against a guy that was expected to, to, to destroy him, frankly, if, if the odds are that high doesn't get the contract, doesn't even get a developmental deal. Uh, and then he ends up facing Anthony Adams and, and gets a, a decision win, a good decision win, but uh, not not a, not the most exciting fight, certainly not the most impressive win. And uh, Dana gave him the contract because he basically had agreed to fight in the UFC. I mean, frankly, if I was Dana White, I would have said, you're not getting a contract, but uh, I hear that you've agreed to face Macky Patolo, so you're going to get a contract because of that, not because of your performance on the show. Because that's what trivializes a performance like Anthony Romero. Romero was a far more um, dominant win this past week than Kasangane's the the previous week. And hopefully Romero can get a short notice call or something to the UFC. But uh, yeah, Kasangane is a minus 120 favorite against Batolo, who's about plus 103 is what I'm seeing. Kasangane anywhere in the area code from minus 120 to minus 140. And that's probably, I think that's where it should be. I think Casanega is a really solid talent. He trains in Tennessee with Scott Holtzman, and um, I've I've been quite high on him. I think that he's a solid prospect. And Naki and Patola is a good prospect too. Uh, Patola coming off a loss to Darren Stewart earlier this month, so another quick turnaround for him as well. Let's see how this one goes. I I think that uh, I I would lean Kasangane in this one. Um and also on the card I don't want to go too too uh in depth on this. You got Mallory Martin against Hannah Cyphers. Uh we spoke about Cyphers in regards to her last fight against um the uh I don't know why I can't remember her name. We just talked about her earlier in the show. The the fighter that Shannon Dobson just beat. I don't know why her name is eluding me at this moment. Um let me pull it up cuz it's going to bother me otherwise. Maria Agapova sorry sometimes I have these brain farts there are 700 fighters in the UFC so you know you gotta give me some leeway here ladies and gentlemen so that's uh, Mallory Martin against Hannah Cyphers you got Alessio Deshirico against uh, Zach Cummings Pollyanna Vienna against Emily Whitmire and uh, Sean Brady against uh, Christian Aguilera so uh of those fights you got Mallory Martin's minus 325 and you got Sean Brady as minus 400 uh, against Christian Aguilera. So uh, some good fights and you've also got that sorry Alex Caceres against Austin Springer. Austin Sp- there was a, basically Caceres was supposed to face um Giga Chikadze. Chikadze had to pull out um and was replaced by Kevin Kroom, who was signed and then said he couldn't make it to the event, so he was signed for less than 24 hours to the UFC. But hey, you know what? Good on Kevin Kroom. He, he said, you know what? I've reached my dream. I did get signed by the UFC, and I know that this is a step in the right direction to me eventually getting signed by the, the promotion. But you know what? If you're, if you're Kevin Kroom and you want to do seminars and stuff, you want to do any sort of marketing, you can say that you were in the UFC. And it's, it's 100% true. So if I'm Kevin Kroom, you've always got to look at the silver linings. And Kevin Kroom can say, former UFC fighter going forward but he's been replaced by Austin Springer. Springer, you might remember, as actually the person that beat Giga Chikadze on the Contender Series, didn't get a contract, and now his that's come full circle, and he is in the UFC. So good on Austin Springer. Congratulations to him on getting a bout in the UFC. Tough bout, mind you, against Alexis Harris, but a bout nonetheless. And one that I think Springer uh, will be up for. All right, so that's this week's, weekend's event. Now, uh let's see what else we have to talk about. Um anything any any big news? I mean, we had uh, Vadim Nemkov beating Ryan Bader. And uh Bellator retweeted a joke that I tweeted, which was I guess Nemkov is now the the best lightweight in MMA, light heavyweight in MMA. Talk about overcorrecting the steering wheel. And what I what I meant by that was Everybody was saying, as soon as John Jones relinquished the belt, that Ryan Bader was the best light heavyweight. Suddenly, Ryan Bader's the greatest light heavyweight in, uh, in, in MMA. After beating Linton Vassell and getting a split decision win over Phil Davis, that's now the best guy. A guy who hasn't fought in, in, in the division in three years. And then, of course, Nemkov goes in, out and gets the win. And I'm, I'm high on, I've always been very high on Vadim Nemkov. This is not a knock on Nemkov at all. And I predicted Nemkov was going to win that fight. I've always been very high on him. So, uh, don't take this as me taking a shot at Vadim Nemkov. Hardly. What I'm taking a shot at is the people that had the gall to say that Ryan Bader was the best light heavyweight in MMA based on what we knew. If you wanted to make a case that he's like one of the best heavyweights in MMA, based on him winning that tournament, although I would contend that he didn't beat the best of the best heavyweights in that competition, he I mean, a win over Fedor is a win over Fedor. I mean, I'm not gonna take that away from him, but I just thought that people were really jumping to uh, making a bit of a jump there by saying that he was the best light heavyweight in MMA. Like, do you think he'd be favored against Dominic Reyes? I don't. Do you think he'd be favored against Magomed Ankalaev? I don't think so. <laughs> Personally, I mean, maybe maybe I overrate Ankalaev. Who knows? I guess we'll see this weekend if I overrate Ankalaev. Because Iwan Kutalaba is a, not an easy out. Um, Amanda Nunez is going to defend her title against Megan Anderson. I believe that's December 12th. She's going to defend at 145 pounds. Now, James Lynch, uh, a colleague of mine and a friend of mine, co-hosts a podcast with Chris Cyborg. And Chris Cyborg said that after this fight, there's only one fight in the women's featherweight division that should be of interest to anybody, and that is Nunez versus Cyborg, and they need to make a cross-promotional fight. I don't want to hear about cross promotional fights anymore until there's any sort of precedent that the UFC will ever If the UFC wasn't willing to do a cross promotional fight when in his prime they were they wanted to have Brock Lesnar versus Fedor Emelianenko and they weren't going to co-promote with M1 Global. You think they're going to co-promote with Bellator to do a rematch of Cyborg and Nunes? Like you think that that is within the realm of possibility? You've got you've got uh, Patricio Pitbull coming out and saying that he'll bet a million dollars that he would beat either the the featherweight or lightweight champion of the UFC. So, first off, if you are going to bet a million dollars that you're going to beat Khabib. Like when you've lost to Ben Henderson. I know that was kind of a fluke injury. Although it was kind of similar to the injury that uh, Sean O'Malley had. You're going to bet a million dollars that you're going to beat Khabib. know why you you take that bet? <laughs> but he's not going to do a cross-promotional fight. It's just not going to happen. And I'm not trying to rip on... on Patricio Pitbull, I actually think him versus Alexander Volkanovski would be a fantastic fight. And I actually, you'll hear me talk about this with Anthony Smith later on in the show, but I think that the most competitive champion versus champion fight between Bellator and the UFC would be Volkanovski versus Pitbull. So I'm not trying to take anything away from Pitbull, believe me. Um, but uh, I think that when you look at uh, at the fact that they didn't do Fedor versus Brock Lesnar, I don't want to hear about any cross-promotional fights again. Like, stop talking about cross-promotional fights with UFC with the UFC. I mean, if you want to do like a PFL-Bellator thing, sure. You you know, we've seen Bellator do co-promotion before. There's a precedent there. There's no precedent for the UFC doing a cross-promotional fight. So don't talk about it. It's not a thing that's going to happen. It annoys me. It's like when people talk about MMA fighters going to boxing. You think the UFC is going to let Francis and Ganu fight Dillian White and go go to boxing? It's not. Come on. Let's get real here. All right. So uh, one other thing I want to talk about is the uh, ongoing situation uh, in the U.S. with Jacob Blake and uh, how it relates to MMA. Now, I've seen a lot of people say after the NBA have decided to... The players have decided to go on strike and not play games until there's some sort of real differences made by the NBA owners and, and really, you know, the the general society as a whole in terms of standing up for, uh, black Americans and, and what they have been going through in terms of, uh, systemic racism, in terms of how they're treated by, uh, police officers in the U S that's the, the cause that they are, um, uh, standing up for. And for whatever reason, this has been skewed to be this right versus left issue. Like, like, for whatever reason, people think that this is, like, an anti-Trump thing. Four years ago, Colin Kaepernick took a knee at an NFL game. Now, I've got a trivia question for everybody. Are you guys ready? The winner's going to get a nice prize. You get, to, you get to listen to next week's podcast for free. Who was the president when Colin Kaepernick took a knee to stand up against police brutality? I'll give you a hint. It rhymes with Obama. it was Barack Obama, so don't think that everybody's doing this to like make some sort of stand against Donald Trump. This was an issue before the Trump presidency, and for whatever reason, everybody thinks that this is some sort of political statement that 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 is swaying people you know that is anti trump in nature like this is this is an issue that people are inventing suddenly because Trump is the president. like do a little bit of do a modicum of research here. And realize that this is an issue that's been going on since. I mean, do we, do we want to go back to like the Olympics like, do, with uh, the Olympians that put their fist up, Tommy Smith? Like, do we do we want to go back and uh, look at Bill Russell, boy, you know, boycotting a game, taking a st- striking for a game in the name of ra- racial equality? Like, what the fifty years ago? Like this this is, is a, if this is an issue that has continued for this long like doesn't that strike people as being a, like a problem and and don't people want to just look at that and be like well maybe this isn't just an issue from the last 4 years like maybe this isn't just an issue from from this particular administration this isn't a sh- this isn't the right versus left issue it's a right versus wrong issue so let's not turn this into a, into politics but let me. I'll get. I'll stop talking about it in that regard right now, and talk about it in in terms of MMA. Now, a lot of people I've seen on Twitter say, "Oh, well, why aren't we seeing mixed martial artists not not fight in events as a result of this?" Well, you know what hap- What would happen? Let's say Neil Magny. Neil Magny's. You know, he's Haitian American. If Neil Magny said, "I'm withdrawing from the," I you know, I'm standing up against for uh, racial equality. And I'm gonna I'm gonna withdraw from my fight against Robbie Lawler you know what the result is of that? Do do you think the UFC is going to cancel the entire event? They're going to say, well, Neil Magny isn't participating, so we don't have an event, guys. Sorry. We're we're canceling UFC Fight Night, Smith versus Rakish, because uh, our co-main event, uh, you know, Neil Magny, isn't going to compete. So uh, we'll we'll see you next weekend. You know what would happen? They'd find a replacement opponent. They'd go to Extreme Couture down the street. They'd say, hey, anybody uh, available to face Robbie Lawler? You get into the UFC, you be in the co-main event on national television. Sure, yeah, I'll do it. And then the event goes on. This is a matter of leverage. If an NBA team walks away from the NBA playoffs, you have no game. Yet yesterday there were supposed to be three games. There were no games played yesterday. That affects the rights holders. That affects the league. That affects the owners. And that affects the people that want to watch the games there like there are far reaching effects of an nba team well let me let me rephrase that nba teams saying we're not going to play until something is done about this until some sort of action real action is taken here so that's why you're not seeing ufc fighters take a stand it's not that they're not passionate about it it's not that they don't want to see a change either it's not that they they feel like they're Is isn't some sort of impropriety going on here? I'm sure they do, and I'm planning on talking to them about it. And I have spoken to them about it. I spoke to Curtis Blades about it. His father's a police officer, and he talked about how he sees both sides of the issues as a result of that. He sees, you know, what his father has to endure as a police officer um, as a result of what's going on. And he and he also has siblings that he worries about, and 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 he worries about when he's driving around. He's a big guy, the and you know and and is worried about, you know, what could happen if he's encountered by the police. He sees both sides. Like, these. this is not an, uh, an issue that has an easy solution. Like, there's a lot of... There's a lot that needs to be done in this regard. And I'm sure that there are a lot of UFC... You know, Kamaru Usman came out and talked about this. So, when you look at this particular issue and why the NBA, you know, the difference between mixed martial artists in the NBA well there's your answer like it's 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 a pretty simple thing to put together you know it's one plus 20 equals two years and this isn't a, a difficult problem people are always creating these false equivalencies like well why are certain athletes in sports doing this when other athletes in other sports aren't doing this well look at the structure of the sport look at what happens look at the look at the impact that it has and look at the leverage Neil Magny doesn't have any leverage You know, it's that's the truth of it, and and he can use his platform this week to speak out about it if he chooses to. And if he chooses not to, then he chooses not to. I mean, are we not are we against freedom of speech suddenly? Like, are we suddenly going to criticize people for having the right to speak out when they see injustice? Like, is that is that something that we don't want? Like, in this in a, what's supposed to be a free country? Okay, well. That answers that. I mean, the people were asking why you're not seeing mixed martial artists uh withdraw from events as a result of this. And and hey, if an if if a mixed martial artist wanted to withdraw as a result of it, that would be totally up to them. And I think that we should support them any athlete that decides to do what they're doing. You know, if this is what this is their they're right. They have the right to speak out against it. I mean, if you if you don't uh, you know, if the constitution is that important then you, you know, let people uh, let people exercise their rights. You might not agree with them, and that's fine. That's your right. You, you have the right to you have the right to think that what they're doing is wrong. That's your right. But uh, that's how it impacts the world of MMA. So people have asked about that, and uh, you know, I, I I don't want this to be you know the political hour. That's not what this podcast is. This podcast is MN, uh, an MMA podcast. But when Athletes are walking away from a sport. That is a sports topic. It's not a political topic. NBA players taking a stand is not a, is not a, is not politics. It's it's sports. I mean, <laughs> that's their occupation. There, they're they're part of the National Basketball Associ- Association. So, uh, if you're wondering how it will impact the mixed martial arts world, I, I think it's still yet to be seen. But I, I would be surprised to see any fighters withdraw from events as a result of this. Uh, because what the NBA players are doing can actually be a vehicle for, for real change. I don't think that uh, a mixed martial artist t- as withdrawing from an event, aside from raising awareness about the issue, which is important, uh, will will do much for them um, and, and also do much for the issue. But we'll see. It could happen. And uh, again, I, I, I would support any athlete that, that, does, uh, that does that if, if that was their choice, because they have the right to do that, and we should be standing up for people's rights in general. Because otherwise, what is it? I mean, if ever if rights are that important, then we should we should support people for exercising those rights? So uh, next weekend, we have a card. It's uh, Alistair Overeem against uh, up and comer Augusto Sakai in the main event. And uh, I'm looking forward to that one. That's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, next pay per view is not it's still on for some time. We got more than a more than a month away, I believe. Actually, just less than a month away which is great, actually. Great news for everybody. Israel Adesanya, minus 160 favorite against Paulo Costa. And uh, you've also got the light heavyweight title on the line. Let's not forget that. Dominic Reyes, minus 250 against Jan Bojovic, plus 210. And people ask me, why do I pronounce it Bojovic? Well, because that's how Jan told me it's pronounced. So if that's... And there's is and that's, why do I say Israel Adesanya? Because that's how Israel says it's pronounced. And uh, I think that it's good when athletes stand up and say, hey, you've, you've been mispronouncing our names because... What are we without our names, right? We have our names from the pretty much the moment we're born, and that's our what identifies us. So, Thank you for listening to Aaron Bronstetter on the TSN MMA show today. And uh, let's get to our interviews. First off, the main event of this weekend's card. It's Anthony Smith, who's taking on Alexander Rakic. Um, and then after that, you will hear interviews of Neil Magny, as well as Jamie Siraj from uh, British Columbia, one of the top up-and-coming Canadian prospects. Uh, thanks to everybody for tuning in this week. We'll be back next week. Uh, Joe will be joining me, and we will recap this card and discuss uh, Alistair Overeem versus Augusto Zakai and uh, all the great fights on that card. But uh, for now, here is Anthony Smith joining me on the TSN MMA Show. He is in the main event against Alexander Rakic. It's this weekend on TSN. He is Anthony Lionheart-Smith. So, Anthony, the big question I have for you is obviously after that last fight, it's very difficult for a fighter to recover from something like that. However, with what you've been through in your career, I mean, starting off with a 500 record for the most part, sometimes even below 500, to getting to where you are today, do you feel like you're better suited than most fighters to bounce back from something like that?
1: Yeah, yeah, man. It's not the worst thing that's ever happened to me. Uh, so I, it is what it is. You got to pick up the pieces, put it back together, and and, and get back on the horse. Uh I, I don't stew over stuff like that for too long you know it it sucks I was heartbroken um but we just got I mean what's what's your options you know I can sit sit around and feel sorry for myself or we can put it back together and, and fix it and and go from there well,
0: when you say it's not the worst thing that's ever happened to you in terms of adversity have there been moments in your career where you have
1: faced more adversity than that oh for sure absolutely uh just making it here was harder than that uh getting to this point in my career and and you know, I took. I, I've had some some pivotal moments in my career that have haven't gone my way. You know, I was cut from the UFC and then lost my first fight after that and blew my knee in the process. And it it just it's not the worst thing that's ever happened to me. So, and 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 that's just in life in general. You know what I mean? Like life hits way harder. And and you know, I'm doing I'm doing what I love for a living. I'm, I'm supporting my family. I'm 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 able to to put on a fancy suit and talk about what I love for a living. Like uh, I'm not doing awful. Uh, so I, I, I try to remind myself of that.
0: Yeah. You've been doing a great job, uh, with the analysis as well. I mentioned this to you before we started. Uh, I think that you've done a really fantastic job at the desk and that you have a really bright future, uh, in that regard as well, after you're, you're done your fighting career.
1: Well, thank you. Uh, it's hard. It's a lot harder than it looks. You know, I, I hope I make it look easy, which means I'm doing a good job, but, um, there's a lot of work to it, but it's, it's fun. It's, it's, it's just, I can't think of a better job uh, than, you know, it, when I'm done fighting. Uh, it c- it can't get any better than to be able to talk about it, you know, that's, and, and, and get paid to do that. It's amazing. Uh, you know, so sometimes I sit there at the desk and we get done with it, and I just can't believe, like, especially when it's like me and Rashad and Karen. Like, we just have so much fun up there. And then afterwards, I just think, I just got paid for that. Like, it's, it's amazing to me sometimes. Is it weird ever being up there with Rashad, uh, knowing that you guys shared a cage? You know, the first time, I was a little uncomfortable. Like, I didn't know how it was going to go. And then after that first time, you know, like, him, he was able to joke about it and crack some jokes. And uh, and then right when we first started, it it was immediately okay. Um, And now Rashad is is a guy that I keep in really close contact with. I, I bounce a lot of things off of him. You know, he gives me lots of advice. Um, if if I'm working the desk and he's not, um, you know, I'll hit him up and ask him what he thinks about, you know, my analysis on this. And then afterwards, he'll let me know how he thought I did and where I could be better. And, you know, he's kind of be he's kind of oddly enough, he's kind of become kind of a mentor. Yeah, it
0: is interesting. I mean, it speaks a lot to his character that he's able to just kind of put that behind him. And you guys have a great professional relationship.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, he was supposed to come out and see me. Uh, and spend a week with me during training camp and and just you know, he's got a lot going on and the, you know, the corona days and, and uh, We weren't able to work it out, but uh, he's gonna be here today. He gets here today. I believe or maybe it's tomorrow uh, and So, you know, I'll see him before the fights and, and hang out with him a little bit and, and then go do my thing Now
0: I read that when you were eight and seven that's when you met your wife. So from there I think you you would won nine fights in a row Is that the best place you had been in, in your career at that point? Like was, was having her in your life, something that really helped push you in a positive direction and and get you to where
1: you are now? Uh, yeah, yeah. It just, it it gave me focus for sure. You know, a lot of it was my lifestyle. You know, I was living pretty fast and crazy. And, uh, you know, when you, you, you know, you get in a relationship and it, it does kind of slows you down a little bit. And then we started having kids and that's really when things turned around. Um, I'm not sure if I was eight and seven. It might, I might've been six and seven or five and six or something like that. It was somewhere around there though. You're close. Uh, and then once I started, you know, once we started having kids, then it, it, it opened up my eyes to a whole different world. You know, it's just, I tell people all the time, I I think that everything turned around for me when I, when I, when I had someone that needed me, like, I think I, I needed someone to need me. Uh, and, and that's what, what my wife and kids did for me. It's just, it's gave me a whole new focus, and, and, and I've always been a person that I, I don't do really well when I don't have a focus. That's why I do so much. It's why I fight so often. It's why I, when I'm not fighting, I'm working the desk. When I'm not working the desk, I'm, I'm riding my razor and traveling with my family. Like I always have to be doing something because if I don't have a focus, then my shit just falls apart.
0: There was this narrative last week that Bellator had a better light heavyweight division than the UFC now that John Jones is moving up to heavyweight. When you heard that, what was your reaction?
1: Um, well, I always look at it from an analyst point of view, you know, I don't have the initial reaction that a lot of UFC fighters have like, no, that's bullshit. And, you know, you take the top one or two guys, uh, in all those divisions short of, um, Valentina Shevchenko and Amanda Nunes. Uh, I think that the, there's some competitive fights there. Uh, I think that though, I, I think the UFC probably wins, you know, if you take all every champion, like I said, short of Shevchenko and Amanda Nunes. Uh, I think the UFC wins all those fights. Um, you know, you, you, I think the Douglas Lima and and actually, when I was looking at it, some of those fights are like really, really good fights. Like Douglas Lima and Kamara Usman, like that's a banger. You know, like even Ryan Bader and Stipe, like that's kind of an interesting matchup too at heavyweight. Um, I think I think the UFC guys win most of those fights, but uh, the top two guys in Bellator and the top two guys, you know, in in the UFC. I think that. Those are competitive fights. You start getting deeper in the divisions, I think that's where the UFC runs away with it. Um, if we're talking 205, kind of like Scott Coker was, Nemkov would be super competitive, uh, but he doesn't run through anybody in the top five of the UFC. He just doesn't. Um, and 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 that's not me being disrespectful because I like that guy's style. I like I like watching the fight. I think he's great, um, but I, he just doesn't run through anybody in the top five. Um, so. You know, that's kind of my analysis of it. I, I think the UFC is absolutely deeper uh, with our talent in every single week class. Um, but some, there, there are some good guys in Bellator. They're, they're very much so. What
0: do you think would be the most competitive fight? I mean, I know there's no 205 champion right now in the UFC. There's no 35 champion right now in Bellator. At least for now, they've announced the mm-hmm. title fight. And I guess it's Pachi Mix uh, and Juan Archuleta. But outside of that, right. like, which champion do you think would have the best chance against the UFC champion?
1: Oh, man. I would probably
0: say Pitbull. I'm, I think you mean at, at 45, not 55? 45. At 45.
1: Yeah. That's that's what I would guess. You know, yeah, probably Pitbull at 45.
0: I think that's my answer also, although I do think Volkanovski's a very underrated fighter. Um, Absolutely. So is, so Absolutely. is, so it's is Patricio. His,
1: <laughs> yeah, so is Patricio. He's just not his... I think Volkanovski not as much of a, he's not as much of a finisher. You know, I, I, I think that that's a fight that you, you know, that Pibble could probably sneak his way into, you know, and, and, and make it close just by kind of just putting rounds in the bank. Um, But I, again, you know, like, I just don't, like when I look at nemkov he just doesn't seem like a guy that's going to beat your Dominic Reyes or your Blahoviches. I just don't see that happening. Um, So I, I, I don't know. I would love to see it though, and that's the shitty part is we'll never see those kind of fights. Like, I'm a big fan of cross promotion, so like, there's some matchups that like, like I would absolutely go to Bellator to fight Corey Anderson. You know, I would, I would do that, uh, but I don't see that. I couldn't get that one here. So, uh, I don't know. I, I, I like the cross promotional stuff. You know, I did. There's a lot of mat, like the Douglas Lima and, and Usman fight is a very interesting fight to me. Uh, I would like to see that. You know, I'd like to see. Lima at 85 versus Adesanya. Like, that would be a fun fight, too. Uh, so, who knows, you know? Hey, even
0: Musasi against uh, Israel would be an awesome fight. So, I'm with you on that. Yeah, that'd be a good fight, too. <laughs> it yeah. is unfortunate that it won't happen. But uh, put your analyst hat on again for me. Tell me about Alexander Rakic. What, what unique threat does he propose to you? Or pose to you, rather?
1: Um, He's got a lot. He's, he's super dangerous. Uh, and that's why I like this fight a lot. I, I, I tend to get a little unfocused sometimes in fights when I don't feel that there's a danger factor uh, which lets situations like the Glover thing happen Uh, you know there's uh, you know in the the Alexander Gustafson fight you know that third round I kind of lost focus a little bit it's it's almost like I get bored uh, if I don't feel like there's some sort of danger like at that point I knew that Alexander Gustafson couldn't do anything to me so then I get a little bit bored and lose focus and then I you know and then I lost that round because I'm kind of just spacing off doing my own thing Um, so when it comes to Rakic, he's a, it's a long rangy striker. Obviously he's got big power in his hands. He likes to set, set up everything and close his distance with his leg kicks. He's got a really nasty rear uppercut, uh, that he sets everything else up off of. Um, not much of a grappler, like submission wise. He's a good ground pound guy. If he ends up on top, um, if he ends up on the bottom, he's not looking to really submit you. He's just trying to get up. Um, yeah, he's tough. He's tough you know i i know he's super pissed off i called him a one-trick pony uh but i didn't mean that like in an offensive way he's just he's a striker even when he's grappling he wants to strike you know so i wouldn't call him a jiu-jitsu guy i'd call him a striker that can punch on the ground you know uh but he's really dangerous though he's really dangerous and he's young and he's hungry and and that creates its own problem it's one of those intangibles you know he, and he believes in himself, you know, he believes that he won his last fight over Vulcan. And, you know, it kind of feels like he got screwed and and, and there's a chip on your shoulder that comes along with that. So, uh, he, he's ready He's and he's coming. Do you think that that was the right decision, him losing to Vulcan? I thought so, I thought so. Uh, it was close, it was absolutely close. Uh, I would have liked to see him against another guy like Vulcan because I'm trying to think of how to say this without being super disrespectful. Okay, I'll preface this with: I have no issues with Justin Ledette. Uh I'm a big, I'm a big fan of who um, uh, Devin Clark is as a person, uh, and you know Burrow. So I don't really know much about him or, or whatever. He's not even in the UFC anymore. But um, Rakic was always going to win those fights. He was meant to win those fights. Uh, you can't get a clear representation of who he actually is as a fighter because just because he's so athletic, he's such a, uh, a powerful striker, he's going to beat those guys 10 times out of 10. So Vulcan was the first time he had a real fight against somebody. And he fought drastically different against Vulcan than he did everybody else because he couldn't just bully them and walk through them like he did everybody else. Uh, Vulcan hits hard. He's super tricky. Uh, he's he's he, Vulcan is much. He's a much harder fight. Than he looks like so like when you're in there, it's totally different than what you expect. So and I and fortunately I've been there So I know what I'm looking at when I'm watching him fight Vulcan. I know exactly what he's dealing with uh So we that's the only fight that we really got a good beat on who rackets really is, you know, like he didn't Chase Vulcan as much as he did everybody else. He, He got a little bit tired and he hadn't done that in a fight before Um, he ended up in some stressful situations. He felt Vulcan's power a little bit and he backed off um I think that my fight with him is going to go very similar. I think that we're going to find out if he can actually fight or not. Um, and, and, you know, that's kind of fun for me. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a fun little dynamic. Um, you know, like, we're going to find out who he really is because I'm going to make him dig deep. Uh, he's not going to have a choice. And if he doesn't dig deep, uh, then it's going to be an easy night for me.
0: I do want to circle back on one thing you said before, which was that you get bored sometimes when uh, mm-hmm. you feel like your opponent doesn't have anything for you. How do you prevent that from happening? Because, I mean, I don't know. Is that a focus issue? Is that, does your mind just go elsewhere? Because during a fight, well, that's the last I thing you want to I see want, happen.
1: I don't want to say this when my opponent doesn't have anything for me. Because Alexander Gustafson is super dangerous. But if I felt your power or and I've seen your game and I don't really – like if it's not super effective or it's not bothering me, uh, I do tend to kind of space off a little bit. you know, And then I'm just – and then I'm playing. That's what happens. It's not that I'm losing focus; it's that I start playing, and that is, it's a dangerous game to play in. And that's what happened in Glover. Like, I just kind of got lazy and reached out uh, for a clinch, kind of lazily, and and he clipped me with an uppercut right up the middle. Uh, that's my own fault, you know. That I did that to myself. So, uh, you know, same thing in the Gus fight. I got lazy. He got a takedown. You know, and it's kind of like I remember being down there, like, ah, oh, shit. Like that's what you get. That's what you get for fucking around and just being an idiot so uh i don't think i have to worry about that with alexander Rackage, because that guy's super dangerous and he's not going to let me off you know so it's, the first guy that makes a mistake is going to be the guy that loses
0: is there something that you can do to prevent that though like if you're in that moment and you can see that your attention's getting diverted elsewhere or you're starting to play as you as you uh put it is there something that you can do to, to to snap out of that? I mean, have you worked with a sports psychologist or, or your coaches on uh, a strategy in, in those situations so that you don't get caught with an uppercut
1: or you don't get taken down? Uh, yeah, it comes down to just code words, you know, because it, it, it happens. And, and at first, I don't think anybody noticed it was happening. Uh, it was kind of like, man, what the hell happened there, you know? And like, I just had to sit down and figure out like why I do that. And it's and it, it really comes down to I'm having too much fun. Uh, I really, really love what I do. I really love fighting. And so when I'm like, it's like when I'm sparring, when I know that the guy that I'm sparring isn't going to knock me out, I have so much fun because I just play around and I just have fun and I try I try weird shit and I just, you know, so I get in that that sparring playful mode uh, and then dumb stuff happens. So my coaches have just learned to have to to recognize that and then and then just tell me to reset and we got to reset and we got to get back to business.
0: All right. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, not a lot of people will talk about uh, something like that happening to them in a fight, and I think that it's interesting that you're, you're working on strategies mm-hmm. to change that. Uh, well, Anthony, thanks for this. I appreciate it. Main event this weekend. Yourself, Alexander Rakic, could probably talk to you for another 30 minutes because you're so engaging, uh, but I know that you've been doing interviews for the last 90 minutes, so I'll, uh, I'll let you uh, go do your thing, and I appreciate your time.
1: Awesome, man. You take care. I'll talk to you afterwards.
0: He's in the co-main event. It's on TSN. Neil Magny taking on Robbie Lawler. I want to know what happened when you got this phone call that Obviously, Jeff Neal is out. He's got a a really serious situation that precluded him from fighting, but Robbie Lawler is the replacement opponent. That must have really knocked you off your feet when you found out that he was going to be the guy to replace Jeff Neal.
2: Yeah, 100%. I mean, at first, there was like, uh, like, hey, uh, Neal's out. Stand by. We're we're working on getting a replacement. And the next day, they're like, hey, Robbie Lawler wants to fight if you're in. And I was like, dude, absolutely let's do it i mean uh most people get a call and say they're fighting rival lawler Their initial reaction is probably like oh crap rival lawler huh uh is anyone else available i mean i I don't think i'm feeling too well but when i got that call and or that email um i was literally smiling from ear to ear i was like oh hell yeah let's do it like this is a a breakthrough moment for me let's go let me go out there and take advantage of it
0: is there a single name they could have presented you with where you would have said no
2: Absolutely not, but uh, but having uh, Robbie Lawler be that name, it definitely added a little bit more excitement to the fight. Well,
0: I I know that you. I'm not sure if you look at betting odds. I know that you promote uh, a website on on your Instagram, but you're a pretty overwhelming fa- favorite against Robbie Lawler, which I don't know if that surprises you at all, given his uh, resume.
2: Yeah, I mean, it definitely surprised me a bit, and then um, just based off some of the interviews and conversations I had leading up to this fight, uh, I, I feel like some people are counting him out, but. Um this is a, this is a big opportunity for me and the biggest thing for me to worry about is uh not getting complacent and not letting the uh the odds and um the, the uh the, the negative talk about Robert Lauder um seep in and have a uh any kind of uh uh impact on my judgment going into that fight. I mean, um some people will say like, Oh well, uh since losing the Belt to Time well, he has been the same since or this or that. Um and I can't let any of that thing any of those things um like, play a factor in me going to this fight against Robert Lawler. As far as I'm concerned, he's one of the most dangerous rates out there. Um, he was a UFC champion for a reason. Um, and that's the kind of Robert Lawler I prepared for.
0: I mean, it's not a bit of a losing streak, but you're talking uh, to Rafael De Sanjos, Colby Covington, Ben Askren. Like, these are the, the elite guys.
2: For sure. And then even with those losses, there's room for... Uh, um, critiqued in every one of those fights i mean uh in the fight against rda he blew his knee out early on in that fight couldn't really move much um the uh stoppage against Askren was uh what some people said like, yeah, it was it was a premature stoppage and he was he was never out uh and it comes to, did a great job game plan wise using his uh uh resting to control the entire fight so uh he like said like with those last three fights it, it, it's real crucial that i don't allow that play a factor in my mind and forget how dangerous babalala actually is
0: when you see that you're such a big favorite against them, do you have one of those like, damn, I'm good at this moment? Do you ever have those moments where you're like, wow, I, I must be really good at this? Because when you're in your career, I'm sure it moves at like you know 100 miles an hour, uh, and it's hard to take a step back and look at how much you've actually improved.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it definitely feels good to to kind of get that recognition at times, but um, at the same time, like I can't allow it to make me complacent. I mean, uh, <laughs> I can remember talking to one of my teammates a couple of years ago, Austin Hubbard, where um, I, I I can't remember how the conversation started, but it was on a, along the lines of like motivating him and trying to get him to see like like yeah, man, like I won every fight I wasn't supposed to win. Look at all these fights that winners, the underdog, and um, his response back to me was like, yeah, but you lost every fight you were supposed to win, and I was like. Damn, dude, like that sucked, but that's kind of true. Like, there's been plenty of fights where I've been the favorite or uh, been been so um, highly picked to win that it just went in there and just did, did not deliver. Um, so, I don't want that to be the case with this Robert Lauder fight. So, um, for me, I'm preparing for the most dangerous version of Robert Lauder that's out there. Um, and I feel like that's what's going to make me fight to my best.
0: Now this is your third fight this year. This is the Neil Magny we all know and love, the one that takes a bunch of fights, doesn't care who the opponent is, and stays busy. Now 2019, uh, you were obviously precluded from fighting uh, due to some situation that you had going on with USADA, where it was, uh, you know, that that has since been clarified as to what was going on with that. But uh, do you feel like you've got normalcy kind of restored in your life a little bit now?
2: Absolutely. I mean, and the time off with uh, with USADA ended up being a blessing in disguise for me. I mean, there were just some things that. Um, I never really took the time to address in training um, and going into into my fights where um, being forced to be sideline for a year, it it really allowed me to deal with those situations. And I feel like it made me a better fighter, a better person because of that. Um, Even during that time when you started, my wife and I were able to conceive a child and uh, she gave birth in in January uh, to our first child. So it's been, even though it's been a a crappy year as far as not being able to fight in 2019, um, it's been a great year of lessons as far as... uh, being able to grow as a person, being able to grow my family, being able to get to where I'm at now. Yeah, how's that
0: been for you? How's fatherhood uh, been treating you? I know we discussed this last time I spoke to you, but uh, now that you're juggling, uh, you know, going and fighting a little bit more, and, you know, you have to travel to another city, quarantine for a bit, uh, how's, how's that whole uh, situation been for you?
2: Honestly, it's, it's getting better as he gets older. I mean, uh, now that when I when I, when I I FaceTime my son, he can actually hear my voice, recognize my voice, and he will actually turn towards the camera and start, like, and, in on me and smiling and that kind of thing. So um, it makes it a little bit easier as, as he's getting older and understanding a bit more uh, about technology and and, uh, and, and uh, being able to recognize my voice and that kind of thing. It makes it a bit easier being on the road now. But uh, one of the coolest things was a couple of weeks ago where I finally had a moment that he he actually had a need for it. and I was like, holy crap, I'm a father to this child now. Like uh, For the first couple months of life there's not much a father can do. It's like, oh, he's hungry. Um, here you are, back to your mommy to yo. go. Um, but recently when he was actually crying and I was the only one that could sue him. It actually made me feel pretty good. It made me feel like, wow, there's actually a, a purpose for me in this child's life now.
0: And how's that, How's uh, it been adapting to fatherhood? Just being a dad and knowing what to do in certain situations and I'm sure it just adds a whole new element to your life.
2: Oh, for sure. And it's been great. I mean, uh, like literally every single week has a new set of challenges. I mean, uh, my son's at the point now where he's just now learning how to crawl and it's like, and it's been interesting because I'm I'm, I'm trying to like, help him learn how to crawl at the same time it's also like he needs to figure out for himself so to speak. So he does this thing where he'll like kinda get himself in a crawling position, his arms give up due to fatigue, and he'll just kinda flop over on his face. And as a father, you want to run over and like pick him up and like like, oh it's okay, son here, try it again. But like to help him grow and help him become a better person, you kinda like have to let him struggle there for a bit. Um so it's been a bit of a a growing aspect on me as well, uh to be able to kind of sit back and let him come into his own and, and, and learn things on his own.
0: When you look at this particular fight against Robbie Lawler, do you feel like there's one place where you have a a very um, distinct advantage over him?
2: Um, Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing would be the pace that I made to put on for this fight for for 15 minutes. I mean, um, I know for a fact that I can go out there and put a relentless pace on him uh, and be something that that most people on this earth cannot deal with. So um, I I feel like that's going to be something that's really going to play my favor going into this fight.
0: I've spoken to some fighters, actually Charles Jardin, a Canadian fighter, has told me he likes to be scared going into a fight. So I preface uh, this next question by saying that when I ask you if you've watched the Rory Rory, uh, versus Robbie fight, Robbie Lawler versus Rory McDonald, uh, one of the most hellacious fights in UFC history.
2: Yeah, I mean, I definitely see that fight, and, and then be honest with you, that like it's not it's not fair. It's more of a uh, excitement that it brings to me because like um, I see what I have on my plate, and I see what I have in front of me, and it's like, all right, dude, you better be on your A game because uh, look at Roy McDonald, look at him getting carried out in a stretch, look at him being in the hospital out there for for a couple of days after that fight, so. It just lets me know what I need to do going into that fight, and that's kind of the motivating thing for me. Like, uh, There's no point in that fight where I can like kind of take my foot off the gas pedal and be content with how the fight's going. I know for a fact from beginning to end, I need to be the one that's in control of that fight, um, and that's what I'm able to do and willing to do going into this fight.
0: Now, the funny thing about that fight, having rewatched it recently, is the distance is so crazy. Just like how they're hitting each other from like basically the end of their punches for like five straight rounds, almost five full rounds until someone fell. Now, distance is something that you were kind of critiqued about early in your career. People said that you could get better at using the distance. You really have over the last couple of years. Do you feel that? Do you feel like uh, with your length, uh, being able to manage distance has been a real strength for you in your recent fights?
2: Yeah, I mean absolutely and am putting it all together and coming to my own. I mean, um you can see it in the Liang fight, I mean, um I landed over a hundred or close to a hundred uh strikes in that fight and only absorbed sixteen shots over fifteen minutes. So um things like that, stats like that, let me know that I'm actually um using my range, using my movement and uh um using clinch fighting and that kind of thing really well to be able to control my opponent uh and dictate where the fight goes and be able to avoid damage and uh uh get the job done.
0: All right, Neil, it's always a pleasure catching up with you. You'll be facing Robbie Lawler co-main event. You can catch it on TSN this weekend. I always appreciate your time.
2: Awesome, It's a pleasure
0: talking to you. We can continue to discuss some of the top prospects outside of the UFC. One of them is Jamie Siraj from British Columbia. Uh, so, Jamie, this year you haven't been able to compete yet because uh, the coronavirus obviously has been happening and the, the regional scene is not what it usually is. Uh, what kind of plans do you have for the rest of this year?
3: Big plans, big plans in my mind, you know what I mean? It uh, depends on, you know, what other people have in store. But for me, uh, you know, either Contender Series or getting in um, on one of these cards, whether it's Fight Island or Vegas, um, that's kind of where my mentality's at. You know, there's there's a ton of great, great talent out there and a ton of guys that have been impressive. But I feel like I definitely stand out amongst all of those guys, you know what I mean? And uh, I feel like, with the way I'm finishing people, the way I'm putting people away, the belts I'm collecting, I mean, I just don't see why Uh, I'm I'm not a prime candidate to just slide right in there.
0: Do you have uh, the ability to fly to Las Vegas on short notice and fight? Do you have the visa and and all of those uh, required, I guess, uh, paperwork? No. (laughs) (laughs)
3: I'm not not very... I, I actually... So, I guess the the UFC would take care of, like, the P1 visa aspect of it, Um, and then, uh, I I mean, they just told me they had my passport ready, so I went, I renewed my passport, Um, so yeah, I think think that's the problem that a lot of people are having, is uh, some people with uh, visa issues um, getting into the country, Um, so, I mean... I, I, to be honest I'm like uh, I'm, I'm I'm a full time fighter I don't even know how all that shit works I just I just do what I'm told hand in my ID when they need it and uh yeah
0: and um in terms of your career at Bantamweight you continue to fight at Bantamweight but should an opportunity arise at 145 you would take that?
3: Absolutely yeah whatever I can honestly at this point whatever I can take man like uh you know I've been at this sport I'm very young but I've been at this sport for a very long time and uh that opportunity you know to actually start making a real career out of this and to start fighting at the highest levels you know what i mean i feel like that's where i belong i belong at the top with the, the highest level fighters in the world and uh all i'm asking is for my opportunity to show that and uh i'll fucking show the world what's up.
0: and you're training with uh tristan connelly now who uh, made a big splash in his ufc debut uh taking a short notice fight against michelle pajeja um what's it like training with him i mean th- that guy's a total gamer
3: yeah, he's, he's a gamer, he likes to talk, he's good at talking, he's, uh, you know what I mean, Tristan's the man, you know what I mean, he's uh, he's he's actually like a great face for what like Canadian MMA is, you know what I mean, like he's he's confident, he's focused, he's one of the hardest workers I've ever met, and honestly his energy really reflects off to everyone in his gym at Checkmate Vancouver, and uh, you know what I mean, Tristan Connolly, man, he's probably mentally one of the toughest fighters I've ever met in my life, if not the toughest. So um, I was just super happy to see Tristan get what he finally deserved. You know, that guy works his ass off. And uh, yeah, man, he shined bright.
0: Also a great tactician. The day before he fought Michelle, he told me basically what his game plan was, and he basically executed it to a T and won the fight. Uh, Pretty incredible to have that kind of a mind uh, working with you uh, in terms of your career.
3: Yeah, you know what's funny is like so I like was pretty impressed with Michelle Pereira and when they announced that he's fighting him, Tristan's telling me his game plan, I'm like, Yeah, okay, brother. You know, for me I'm always like, Yeah, I'm gonna go, I'm rooting for my boy, but when he's telling me the game plan, I was like, I think maybe this guy's lost his marbles a little bit. And then he went out there and did exactly what he told me he was gonna do. And I was like, you know what? I'll never doubt Tristan Connolly again. If he says he's gonna do something, the man's gonna do it.
0: And it was a risky strategy. It was basically pressure the pressure fighter. And Pejeja had tons of weight on him, too, because he's a natural lightweight. And uh, Michelle is like a huge welterweight.
3: Massive, man. Like, I I seriously, like, uh, well, obviously, he missed weight for that fight, too. I don't know how he makes the weight. It's crazy. He looks like he's a 185-er, man. So, yeah, I mean, Tristan, that's the thing. Tristan's cardio doesn't run out. You take him on five days notice, six days notice. I mean, that guy's, his heart will make it a fight regardless if he's not even in cardio shape. You know what I mean? That guy doesn't quit. Um, he's one of the most tiring rounds. Even if you are got him in a position where you have the advantage, he's just impossible to, to get tired. You know what I mean? So
0: Tristan's the man. So we're seeing some Canadians sign up for the Contender Series. We've had uh, TJ Laramie signed up, KB Buller, um, Jamie Lynn Horthwessels, who is uh, in the area near you. Uh, wh- why do you think you haven't gotten the call just yet? What do you think is the hesitation on the UFC's part?
3: that's a great question that's a great question because I mean if from what I've been told is what they're looking for is people that have a great record and finish people and no one is doing that better than me you know what I mean like the body shot knockouts I'm putting people to sleep with chokes I'm slamming people and knocking them out Um, I've won every way that you can win a fight ground and pound knockouts submissions um, I've proven that I can go into deep waters and go to war and I'm durable and I have a chin. I've never been a boring fight in my life. And, uh, you know what I mean? I, I I think, I think maybe one of the things that stopped me was, um, you know, some of the injuries that I was dealing with before. But, um, I mean, those are pretty far gone now and I'm, I'm ready. They know I'm ready. Uh, my manager knows I'm ready. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, as far as what exactly they're looking for, I don't know because I feel like I I uh, fit the description. I'm younger than all these guys. I'm hungrier, and I, I just I just want this. You know what I mean? I want this so bad. I'm training two to three times a day every day right now, not knowing if I'm gonna fight or not. But um, I don't care. I'm just focused on getting better, being the best mixed martial artist I can be. And uh, honestly, I'm fucking entertaining, man. <laughs> just, just, type in, just type in YouTube. Type my fights in. You know what I mean? I don't need to say anything more than that. So,
0: uh, you had uh, a bit of a personal tragedy recently. Uh, your sister passed away. Um, tell me about what happened with her and, and her unfortunate passing, and, and how you've been uh, been working through it. I know it's a very uh, recent thing that happened in the last couple of weeks.
3: Yeah, man, it's been uh, it's it's been pretty hard, man. Like um, she, uh, you know, she was definitely like. Um, an amazing person, um, and she hasn't. Uh, you know, it, it was just, it was really unfortunate, man. I uh, I loved her, and I, I try to help her as as much as I can. And you know, right now I'm just trying to really think about doing right by her, and um, and I know what she would want me to do, and she wouldn't want me to um, let this bring me down like a miserable slope and and start falling off and deterring away from my dreams so right now i'm just trying to be really strong for my family um being strong for her and uh yeah man it's i I don't i don't really know what to say more than that it's just um it's kind of like breaks my heart to be honest and i'm just really trying to use this motivation as a way to, to almost fight for her i guess if that makes sense it really puts a lot of things into perspective for me um, you know and uh, I don't wish it upon anyone man it's uh, yeah. Yeah, you fun,
0: yeah you mentioned you mentioned that it, it's it obviously came uh, as, a, as a sudden thing and you' you're, men- you're uh, managed by Jason House who also manages Cody Staman we saw him I guess it was about a month ago. He's fought twice actually since his brother passed away because I think it helps him take his mind off of uh, something so tragic. Is that how you've been been coping with this?
1: Yeah, I,
3: I just feel like right now it's the right it's the right thing to do. You know what I mean? Um, I just feel like I feel like in a in a sense sometimes sometimes when something really terrible happens within within your life, you can either use it as an opportunity to grow or you can let it ruin you. And I've I've gone through a lot of things in my life. I've gone through a lot of loss and I've gone through a lot of hardship and I'm I'm tired of letting these things break me and, and letting me um, fall down a negative spiral. I just honestly I'm I'm focused on becoming UFC world champion. That's my goal. Um I feel like maybe for a while there Maybe it was let down from things in the sport, not making money, things like that. And I I almost for a while, even when I was successful winning fights, I feel like maybe my passion wasn't always there like it was prior. Um, and her past has really just made that fire grow really strong, man. And, and I want to go out there. I want to honor her. I want to fight for her. And I want to do anything I can to become a better human from this. And um, yeah, man. And you know what? And in her name, she she deserves that, man, because she was such an amazing person. So, um, you know, when I go out there and get my hand raised next, it's for for my sister Molly, so I love her.
0: All right, well, I know this has been a very difficult year for a lot of people, obviously for you and your family, uh, more so than others uh, given the tragedy you guys have had to endure but uh, hopefully there is a silver lining sometime this year. You're able to uh, get that call from the UFC. I mean, they've got events basically, two events per week from now through October. So it's uh, not that they uh, they don't need uh, people. They certainly need people to come in and fill uh, yeah. it in. So hopefully she's looking down on you and, and that opportunity comes.
3: Yeah, and when it does come, when it does come, like win or lose, I'm I'm giving it everything. They'll they have the, one of the most exciting Bantamweight prospects they've ever had in their company. So um, I'm here, I'm ready. Call Jason House if you need me.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, that's what I did to get this interview. So hopefully the UFC uh, do the same. Uh, Jamie, thank you for this. Uh, appreciate it. One of the top prospects in Canada outside of the UFC. And uh, we look forward to seeing, seeing more from you uh, as this year progresses.
3: My man. Thank you so much, Aaron. Appreciate it, bro. Thank you for having me on.
0: Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA Show. Thanks to our guests, Anthony Smith, Neil Magny, and Jamie Siraj for joining us. And uh, like I mentioned, we'll be back next week. Joe should be joining me, and we will recap UFC Fight Night. Smith versus Rakish. Have a great week.